0: We're going to have a good time today. I'm excited. How many people watch Home Improvement? Raise your hands. Yes, you heard me talk about that a couple weeks ago. I'm still watching it. It's fun. Still in season one. Tim, the tool man, Taylor, has all of the tools of the trade and loves to just fix things, renovate things, and make things new. Could you live with a person like that? Could you live with a person in your home that is constantly renovating constantly fixing, constantly working on something to try to make it better and new and more improved. Raise your hands if you could live with a person like that. Oh, there is a person like that. Okay, yes, no. Actually, he's pretty... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on Andy. That's Andy Pryor right there. He's the son-in-law of the former pastor here, so he's very important. Um, but he's good. He's really good. I mean, you say that, but he's pretty good. Pretty good, with, uh, good pretty handy. So, uh, And their house is awesome if you've ever been over there. But I digress. Anyways, um, I don't know. I don't know if I could live with somebody like that where every, your whole house is t- constantly under construction. Picture it. Coming home from a long day at work, from doing whatever it is that you're doing. If it's not work, if you're tired, you know, just whatever. But and, and things are in plastic. Caution tape is up. Can't go in that room because it's unusable right now. Just constantly fixing, constantly renovating. Homes are our comfort place, are they not? Are we striving to make our home a bit of a sanctuary from the busy week? That you come home, you take a deep breath. If you have children ages six, soon to be four, and two, just as an example. Sometimes that's hard to do, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, the, the homes, are, that's, we want them to be comfortable. We have designated spots in our homes for comfort. How many people have their own chair that they sit in? Or maybe it's an office, like a designated space that's all your own that no one else can go in. Maybe you're, you're a part of the fad that has the man cave. How many people have a man cave? Anyone a man cave in here? <laughs> nice, nice. All right, good. Good. I won't make fun of you then. And then uh, she sheds. <laughs> Any she sheds in here? Anything like that? But we try to make these places to be a place where we can just take a breath. Now, we are talking today about having a permanent house guest in your home. Now, if you are like me, and the rule that we always say in our family just to have fun is after seven days, house guests start to smell like fish, right? They start to stink. Got to go. You got to get out of here because we're, we're starting to see each other's habits. We're starting to see each other's quirks. And we're starting to annoy each other. And, and you got to get out. And, 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 you know, when you have a party and people come over, how many people have house guests when they come for a party, but then they linger afterwards? You ever have that happen? Where you're like, okay, and making motions to go to bed. And they're just kind of like settling back into the couch again. you're like, I guess we're not going to bed. And our home is an intimate part of us. We specifically choose who enters, who stays, who remains. My friends, when you profess a a, a faith in Christ, when you say, Lord Jesus, I I am a sinner and I I need you. You are my savior and, and I can't do this on my own. And I know that I cannot get to heaven because of my brokenness and I need you. When you profess that, when you confess that, you swing open the doors to your home. Not your literal home, although your literal home should probably show that, that, that relationship in, in, in a variety of ways. But it's the soul, your, the home in your heart. You, you swing open the doors and you let this, this guest come in, this, this triune God to take up residence. And it's more than just a guest because a guest you can kick out and you can't kick Jesus out. And not only is that, not only does Jesus come in and set up a residence in your heart, he comes in, he starts moving things. He goes into the kitchen and says, that spatula doesn't go there, it goes there. And you're like, Jesus, step out of my kitchen, please. Or he goes to a closet and he opens up the closet and there are things that you have stacked, that you've tried to hide, that you've tried to bury, hurts, addictions, whatever it may be, You just try to shut that door. And he's like, no, I'm trying to get rid of these things and you keep holding on to them. So not only is he a guest that just makes himself at home, but he's also a guest who meddles and really starts to move things. And maybe that's why we have such a tug of war with him because he's opening up boxes and closet doors and things in our lives that we we, we don't really want to look at. But he's saying to us, I'm doing something, I'm doing something here. This is going to be for your good. It's going to hurt, but eventually there will be freedom found in me getting rid of some of this stuff. We've invited in Tim, the toolman man, Taylor, when we say, Jesus, be my savior, because he comes in with spirit power, more power, to constantly renovate and improve upon our lives. What I have for you today is as we look at abiding, and that word really means to to remain with, stay with, to set up permanent residence, that when Christ abides, <coughs> he sets up this relationship of us being interlocked, go like this, like this, interlocked, interlocked, and like feel it, that nothing can tear that asunder. Interlocked and being constantly renovated. That is what happens. It truly demonstrates the depth of love that God has for his creation, that he doesn't leave us in our outdated, sinful shells, but he renews us, he restores us through that interlocked relationship with him, and constantly renovates us into the type of creation that God intended us to be. Are we excited for this topic today? Yes. Let's dive in. Open up those Bibles, okay? So let's take out the Bibles from the back of the pews. I want to go to John chapter 114. And this is uh, that Tom Harper preached on this last Sunday. and did a phenomenal job. And I felt bad because I gave him, quite possibly, the highest theological verse in the Gospel of John that you could give somebody. And I said, you'll be fine. Everything will be great. (laughs) And he did a fantastic, fantastic job. I want to I recap it because what I would like us to see today's going to be a little, a little head kind of theology, so stick with me. I'm going to try to dance around as much as possible make it entertaining. But I want you to see the progression of how God works. And as you see that, see how much He loves us. Quite simple. I can't put it in any other words. It feels like it's so simple, but it's profound, and and let's look at this. So John 14, or 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Such a powerful phrase, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Among us. That word, word there uh, is mean, it's the Greek word logos, which means all that is the character, all the wisdom, all the truth, the essence of who God is has been poured out into the flesh, into Jesus Christ. As an English teacher, I taught AP Lang, and it's the skill of argumentation. And you have to kind of go a little Greek for the students to understand how you put arguments together. Logos, that word here, that is word, means the logic appeal of your argument. It's the thesis statement. It's the point you're trying to prove. This is God's thesis statement. Jesus, who does not just show up, but he dwells among us. That word dwelt here, and you're going to see the word dwelt a little bit later, but it means something totally different. Here, It means he tabernacled, as Tom preached on last week. What's a tabernacle? Just by blank definition. Don't go theological on me. What's a tabernacle? It's a tent. Right. Thank you, Matthew. It's a tent. He set up a tent. Now, the word tabernacle is to bring our eyes back to the Old Testament because this is how God made himself known to the people. You set up this tabernacle, then the... Presence hovers over, you know I'm in your midst. And then if I tell you to get up and move, then you break down that tabernacle and you move, you set it back up again, you know I'm in your midst. It's a temporary structure. It's a movable structure. And so now what happens is, instead of it being in a tent, God sends his son to be the tent. So that, what it says here, we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and Truth. You want to know who God is? You want to know who his son is? You look at Jesus. You want to see his presence in your midst? You look at Jesus. And so, whoever prayed for it, Kevin, who said, The apostles, thank you for writing this down and recording this, they beheld the glory of the Father because he was walking around. They could go up to him and poke him. Now, I don't know if you would poke Jesus because he says he's the lion in the land. I don't think you poke a lion. But they could touch him, shake his hand. His presence was in and among them. They didn't have to see him through a barrier, through a curtain in the tent. They could see him walking around for the sole purpose to behold the glory of God. Jesus pointing and making known and putting on full display the identity and the character of God. Now we've said that tents, even the tabernacle, is is, is temporary. When you go camping, you set up a tent you stay there for the weekend, and then you promptly break that tent down and then go home to your permanent residence, right? Those, uh, those of us who have permanent residence, obviously. Wherever the tent was built, the Spirit of the Lord resided, and wherever Jesus then walked and ministered, the Spirit was moving. Now, what is the problem of this? How many times has Jesus come to the world? One time. How many times are promised? Two times, right? So then something has to happen on this first time. What's going to happen? Where's Jesus? Is he permanently there with them? His physical presence? No, of course not. This is all review, right? So Jesus is going to have to peace out. The tent is going to have to go away. So it begs the question then, so goes the tent, so goes Jesus, so goes the Spirit of God, so goes his presence. Is God going to, is is God through Jesus going to bring 12 guys together, have them leave their livelihoods, have them leave everything that they know, have families look at them like they're weird, have the town look at them like they're going to kill them, and then all of a sudden Jesus is like, this has been fun, I'm out. You good? And obviously, this is not how God... Interacts with with his creation. God created Adam and Eve before the fall. We know something about his character and what he loves and what he desires. What does he desire with the humans that he created? He desires to be in community, face-to-face, family together, without all that sin and junk that has happened. That was the original intent. Remember, I said a few weeks ago, our indiscretions bear nothing on the will of God. That's not going to change what he desires, what he loves. And what he desires when he loves is to be in community with us. And so when sin came in and, and broke that community, we can no longer be with him. He immediately sets out the chase and the ways that his people can know his presence hence the tent, hence the burning bush, hence all the things that he did through the patriarchs, through the Old Testament, until finally what? Jesus comes. Does that mean that he's now going to change his mode? That he's not going to have some sort of either person or tent to show that his presence is within their midst? No, He's just going to continue to improve upon it, doing new things and better things. And so this is where we're at with Jesus. He's with his disciples now. Go to John chapter 14. He's in the upper room. And he has them all gathered there. And he's just got done saying to them, listen, I gotta go. And not only do I gotta go, it's gonna be a, kind of an ugly way in which I leave. Probably a little traumatic. But then he says, hey, guess what? First 1 of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Okay, great. But then goes on. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. That's going to be important a little later. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And so you think, okay, great. The disciples are all educated up. Thomas says, Lord, I have no idea where you're going. You're not making any sense. I love Thomas. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, Jesus says, know like an experiential knowledge. If you have truly known me, heart and soul, You would have known my Father also. Remember beginning of John, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. You would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and you have seen him. And so you think the disciples are all ready to go, right? This is pretty clear. It's clear to us 2,000 years ago. To them, not so much. So Philip raises his hand and says, um, Lord, Could you then show us the Father, please? And that will be enough for us. Then we'll we'll believe you. Just go ahead and pull that curtain back and be like, here's God, right? And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long that you still don't know me? How many of us are like Philip? That we've tarried with God for so long and yet there's parts of the Lord, there's parts of Christ that we forget that we don't trust, that we don't allow into the closets of our lives. Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say to me, now show us the Father? Do you not believe, Philip and everyone else, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? That word for in in the Greek, get ready for it, Guess what it means? In. That's what it means. It means in, that they are interlocked together. The Father and the Son are so attached that they are in, interlocked, nothing can break it, ironclad. And that is a great, great thing of hope for everybody, that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's not some crazy lunatic walking around saying, God, it's like, stuff. No, 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 no. I and the Father are in me, and, and, and even more importantly, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells, not tent now, dwell means abide, who sets up permanent residence. The Father setting up permanent residence in Jesus does his works. So he says to me, not, not, only, not only do I, are we interlocked, but my authority, my power, everything I'm doing is coming from the Father who is dwelling and abiding in me. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Okay, so this is not new groundbreaking information for any Christian, that Jesus and God are one. If that's new and groundbreaking information, great. I'm glad you learned it today. But I mean, that's kind of like the Bedrock foundation of this whole thing that we call Christianity, that Jesus was the true Son of God and is God in the flesh. So why bring that interlocking thing up? Well, remember I said in the beginning, having Christ as a permanent residence inside us means we are also interlocked. Move to chapter, verse uh, 15 and hear now what else Jesus says. If you love me, if you believe me, if you have faith in me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It means you're going to follow what I say to do. Great two greatest commandments, he summarizes them up for us. Love your father, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbors as yourselves. Gave the disciples a little addendum and says not only love them as yourselves, but love each other as I have loved you. If you do all that and follow that, You'll be able to keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Helper, here's the Holy Spirit. It's the advocate, the counselor, the person who comes alongside, testifies on your behalf, speaks truth, to be with you forever. Okay, so that's great. So the Holy Spirit's going to come alongside me, be right here on my hip, be with me forever. Come on, walk with me, Jesus not done, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. So he says, if you don't believe in me, you're not going to understand the Holy Spirit. And that's why the unbelieving world looks at Christians like we're a bunch of Looney Tunes. They don't understand it. They don't understand how you can have a death in the family and and celebrate. They don't understand how you can have a, a, a deadly cancer diagnosis, but yet have joy in knowing where you're going. It don't make sense to them. He says, you know him for, ah, get this, not just alongside, he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. You're not gonna do this thing by yourself. I'm gonna come to you. Yes, I'm leaving, but I'm coming. A little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Now in that day, you will know. That I am in my Father, oh, and you are in me, and I in you. We get invited into the interlocking relationship that Jesus has with the Father. What does that mean? And when he said it up there, it says, I am in my Father, Father is in me. The words I speak, Jesus says, are not under my authority, but under the Father's. And so if Jesus and God, if it's their desire to bring us into this family, this interlocking relationship. It's for a purpose. And that purpose is so that when we walk now without Jesus' physical presence, the presence of the Lord, we are not without the presence of God. And when we walk, we walk with his authority. And when we walk, we walk with his power. And when we walk, we walk with that intimate relationship that he has with his son now has with us. What God is doing in this interlocking relationship that happens because the Holy Spirit comes and we see that at its, at its fulfillment at Pentecost, he's recreating the Eden community in your hearts. Where no longer do you have to find something to find the presence, he's right there permanently when I read the Easter story about how when Jesus died and in the temple the curtain ripped I always read that as now we have full access to God as like a one way like now I have the on ramp to get to Jesus to get to God and here I go Christian marching and I'm, I'm up on that road and then as I put this message together it blew my mind it's like oh no it's not one way This is a two-way street in that I can boldly approach, but then the triune God comes chasing and approaching me and not only chasing me, sets up his home in me so that I am not alone and I'm not preaching on my own power and I'm not ministering on my own will, that I'm doing the very thing that God, the triune God, is helping me to do. That's why he's called helper, counselor, friend. I'm sending him to you, he says. He will be with you and in you, he says. Whoever has my commandments, verse 21, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And who loves me will be loved by my Father's stronger, interlocking relationship. I will love him and manifest, make myself known to him. Further down, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word And my Father will love him. So we've got this. This is repetitive, Jesus. Land the plane. But here, even better. And we will come to him and make our home with him. So the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, and really the triune God, within us as individuals, and also remember, he's speaking to the disciples as a whole. And if I had 40 other minutes, I would then talk about how the implications have for the church in terms of the spirit of the Lord residing in the church and how the church is to be used. But you can see it in both church and individuals. Make my home with him. We have this interlocking relationship that seals us together that we are in this bond now with Christ. That the, the separation of sin has been mended and has been healed. And now the way is this open road where we can go to Him, and, and He obviously comes with us. But then Jesus says, We will, if you love me and love my Father, keep my commandments, my word, we are going to come to you and make our home with you. That, that phrase, make our home, is another abiding word. It's a little different, a little nuanced, So, uh, and it's probably too confusing to try to explain. It's a little different, but really, to prepare a place, to prepare a room. The only other time Jesus uses that phrase, make our home with him, is back at the top of chapter 14, when I said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I, when I've told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So there is a room, there is a place in the heaven, uh, in the kingdom of heaven above for us that when we die because of Jesus' resurrection, he, we get to be with him. But now here, he also says, I take that room and I'm putting it here inside you. You can experience all of the things that you'll experience there now because of my residence inside you. So not only interlocked but constantly being renovated. The only reason why he's coming and setting up this personal residence, this permanent residence inside of us, is for us to know him continually, but also to be created and renewed into the recreation that he intended us to be. Jesus says, I'm sending you the helper who's going to convict your heart of the truth of everything that I have taught you. So you don't get to have spiritual amnesia. You don't get to say, Jesus, I don't want to listen to you. He's like, no, I'm here. I'm here, and we're going to open this stuff up, and we're going to look at some of this stuff that's been standing in the way all these times, and we're going to clean that stuff out. You are with me, and I with you, and you with my Father. We're interlocked, and I have made my place. I have made my home inside your heart to constantly renovate, constantly make you new. We are always under construction like I-270. Amen? Amen. Always under construction until that day. till that day that we do go to the room that he has prepared. Completely renewed, completely restored. What do you do with this information? This is not just words. When we say, Lord, I want to follow you and and you're my savior, this is not just some magic spell that you say, and now you're out of hell. You are saying, come in. What's the verse? I stand at the door, and I knock, come in. And not only does he come in, but he, he makes himself at home. He becomes what I used to say, what is it, an uh, uh, open refrigerator door house guest who can come in and open up your fridge door and just help themselves. I thought of a new one. He comes and he makes himself at home and he becomes a comfy pants resident. You know? You know, it's always, when you have people over at your house and you want to just wear your comfy pants and you can't. But there's certain people that you can wear your comfy pants with and that's who he is. When I go home, Carrie always laughs at me because when I'm home and no one's coming over, comfy pants in .2 seconds. We are there. And that's, that's the intimacy that we have in Christ. The bold, triune God who comes to us and not only comes to us, but sets up a room and a permanent residence so that we are interlocked and constantly being renovated until that day that we are completely restored. Jesus, in his teaching in the upper room, in 14, chapter 14, says, it's good for you that I go away. What does that mean? It says, greater things that you will do because I am going to the Father. That doesn't mean that we're greater than Christ, no. But what it does mean is that because of his indwelling, because of his abiding in each and every one of us, we get to go as light bearers of the gospel truth of Jesus Christ, constantly being taught, constantly being convicted of that truth. And so the message spreads like wildfire, as each of you are different embodiments and presence of the Holy Spirit of the triune God to those who may not believe. So go do greater things in his name. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody.